It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Julia Hartley Brewer Coronavirus Update. If you're in lockdown, just like me, don't worry. I've put together some of the best bits from my talk radio breakfast show into this daily podcast, so you won't miss any of the day's biggest coronavirus updates. Enjoy and stay safe. Online, on DAB and on the talk radio app. Talk Radio. Right now, I'm delighted to welcome the Culture Secretary, Oliver Dowd, into the show. Good morning to you. Good morning. Good morning. Let's talk about the happy stuff first. There's a lot of stuff to not be happy about. Let's be honest. Let's talk about the possibility of this vaccine. Um, the Business Secretary, Alex Sharma, your colleague, announced an extra £84 million to accelerate research and production, not just at Oxford University, but also Imperial College, looking for a vaccine. Um, talk of it being available, not just being developed by autumn, but even being available at the beginning of the autumn. £30 million eventually getting the vaccine. Um, these are extraordinary numbers. How confident is the government that the Oxford University will be able to deliver? Well, there are promising signs, but uh, of course we are, we're always cautious about these things. But the key thing is that if they do make the progress that they seem to be making, we want to be able to ensure that we can manufacture it in large quantities so we can get it out to, to people as quickly as we can, which is what this new investment is about, uh, ensuring that we could manufacture 30 million uh, of the vaccine. But obviously the vaccine is not... Uh, ready to go by by any stretch, but there is there is promising progress, and that would be fantastic if we were able to do that. It would be amazing if we were the uh, the first country in the world to get it, and the priority would be for people here in Britain to get the virus, get the vaccine first. Yes, that that's why we, we what we're saying is we're we're making good progress. Obviously, I, and I appreciate what your your previous uh, uh, participant said about. Uh, talking up our successes but we need to be a little bit cautious about this but if we if we are successful with it the key thing is manufacturing it in large numbers uh, so that okay. people in britain will be able to get it well there's a lot of concern though that you know if we, even if we have even if it's as early as september or october or if it doesn't happen that soon or in possibility of not at all that we're going to have to learn to live with this virus and a crucial part of that is people coming out of lockdown and this test trace and isolate regime that the government is in, has instigated um you know the ongoing criticisms that you the government conti- didn't continue with uh, testing and tracing back in mid-march you made that decision was made we now know for the very simple reason that you didn't have the facilities to do so you simply didn't have the resources but you have had a number of months now to get those up and coming we're now told you've recruited most of the 18,000 people you may need um there are numerous criticisms of this one should have been done a lot earlier two these you need more than 18,000 people and three how on earth are these people going to be battle ready uh, at the on the first of june when schools are supposed to go back and we have to start that test and tracing when they've only just been recruited 
Well, there are there are three elements to this. So there is the the contact tracers. So 17,200 have been uh, recruited and the health secretary will be making a statement to parliament today with a further update on that. Uh, the second element is the testing. So uh, as you've seen, uh, we've got that number over 100,000. It, it dipped slightly just to, to 92 odd thousand yesterday, but it's been consistently well above that in previous days. And then we have this app. So the app uh, is working in the Isle of Wight, and we're looking at uh, rolling it out across a, the rest of the country to the timescale that you described. So we're making good progress on, on all fronts. But making good progress, I mean, but again, this, this look, with the best will in the world, even the most ardent supporter of this government must surely be wondering now whether or not actually some of the criticisms from the Labour leader Keir Starmer are valid in terms of the slowness of approach. Doing, doing everything right eventually, you do get some points for, but, but, but given that you know, we know that the countries that have been most successful uh, in dealing with the pandemic in terms of number of deaths and, and being able to come out of lockdown soon and like have been countries that have kept up their testing and tracing. We've obviously we had the focus on ratcheting up the NHS and that's hugely successful. And there have been successes and we're not trying to underplay them. But there's no reason why this couldn't have been done at the same time. We've got, you know, millions of people unemployed now. But surely it's not hard to actually recruit 18,000 people in a day uh, for these jobs. Why have they not all been recruited, ready to go with their clipboards, ready to start tracing right now? Well, um, Julie, you talked about criticism of, of, of not making progress. We did say that we wanted to recruit 18,000 by the 18th. Uh, today is the 18th. We recruited 17,200 yesterday, and there'll be a statement from the health secretary today on it. So we are we're making rapid uh, progress with this, just as we made rapid progress with building the Nightingale hospitals, ensuring that we were ahead of ventilation capacity. So all the there's. If you think about where we started with this whole whole crisis, the kind of ramping up that, that's been going on has been absolutely uh, enormous. And this is an, another example of it. Okay. Apart from the fact that, of course, the, the initial pro- problem, you know, the, the project was that by mid-May, the chest and tracing would be up and running. And, and it's gone mid-May. And it's not. So you actually are behind schedule on that. Let's also talk about schools reopening, ongoing battles with the teaching unions. We know many academy chains are going to be sending their, their children back to school. Uh, World Health Organization chief scientists saying very, very minimal risk to children or teachers. Are you going to push ahead and send children back to school? And teachers who refuse to work without a good reason, they haven't got an, a, an ongoing health issue or they're not uh, they're, they're under 60 or the like, um, will they still be continued to pay, be paid their full way? even if they aren't doing the job they're required to do? Well, I, first of all, I, I pay tribute to, to all teachers who are already working uh, at school as we speak um, to teach children of key workers. And my, my wife's a teacher, so I need to be a bit careful about this uh, myself. Um, but I think it's right that we should uh, get children back to school if we can. We're proposing a very cautious approach to this. So from the beginning of June, we'll be looking at reception year one and year six. So I very much hope that over the coming days, uh, teachers will continue to engage with us so that we can address their concerns, because it really is in the interest of children to get back to school. And if you think about children from some of the most deprived backgrounds, they may not have seen children of their own age for what several weeks now it's often the the respite they get going to school and um it really in those early years they're so formative with um reading and writing and learning the routines of school if we can get them back we 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 should do so
Is there any excuse given, I mean, you are digital culture, media and sports secretary. We know the digital aspect of this is massively important. Is there any excuse for the fact that 10% of secondary and primary schools are giving no work, no lessons online or any kind whatsoever to pupils? Is there any excuse for that in this day and age? Well, I I think, as you said, most schools are providing that support. And they, they, That's they no use be, if your they, kid is one of the should... kids at a school not yeah, getting no, lessons. No, is there course, any excuse sorry. for it? Yeah, I, no, I think I think all schools should be supporting children. So there's no excuse home. for any school to not be providing lessons. What is going to be the punishment for the schools, the heads and the teachers who are not providing lessons? Are they all just going to keep their jobs, sitting on full pay, not doing their job, while the children from many from disadvantaged homes suffer? Is that is that acceptable to you? Uh, no, that's why we're looking at getting uh, schools back in the way that uh, I, I described. And what and, about the schools uh, who all, refuse? Yeah, I mean, look, all, all heads should be ensuring that there is support for their, their, their children at home. Obviously, it's up to the, the Department okay. for Education, the Education Secretary, as to exactly what steps are taken in respect of schools that are not providing that. But I do pay tribute to the 90% who are doing it, and I very much hope that the remainder will, will, will do so. But okay, okay. that's for the... Let's talk about something that's directly under your uh, uh, control. Well, well, your your jurisdiction as culture secretary, uh, responsible for sport as well. Lots and lots of talk about the return of the Premier League, particularly after the German Bundesliga came back at the weekend. June the 19th is the date that's now being uh, uh, suggested. Um, Is it time to bang some heads together and make sure the Premier League does come back? Yes, well, I mean, that, I wouldn't say bank heads together. I had a very constructive discussion on Thursday with the FA, the Premier League and uh, EFL. We're making very good progress with this. Clearly, safety is the, the number one concern, but I'm very hopeful and we're making good progress that we will, by the middle of June, certainly get the Premier League back and then shortly after that, probably the, the championship. And that through all of this, Number one is, is protect safety, but also I think there's an opportunity here, both in terms of ensuring that we get uh, some matches uh, free to air to discourage uh, people from uh, leaving their homes to watch it, which I think is, is an important point, and also how we support the wider sport of football. So we're making good progress on, on all those fronts. If you had to put a percentage odds on it, what are the chances are that sometime mid-June we're going to be able to see live Premier League football? Well, that, that is very much what we're aiming for, and I'm very, very hopeful of it, and we're making progress towards that. But 90%, when, when, 95%, when, well, 50%? When, when we have, as I said, we, have, we <laughs> had a very constructive discussion on Thursday. We're making very good progress. I very much hope that's going to happen, and uh, when we can formally make that announcement, we will make that announcement. Online, on DAB, and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Online, on DAB, and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. First up, let's talk to Francis Gilbert. He's a London English teacher and author of The Mindful English Teacher and joins us now. Good morning to you, Francis. Good morning, Julia. Um, you're among those teachers who are fearful about uh, children going back and indeed teachers going back. What is your concern? Well, you know, I actually also run a um, teacher training course at Goldsmiths um, and we obviously have got very serious advice that we are not sending our sort of trainee teachers back into schools um, because of the safety issues. Very so, serious you know, advice. Very serious advice from the university, you know, because it's the various kind of legal things involved too. You know, that obviously if we had one of our trainees um, get very ill or die, then, you know, that has serious implications for us. And I do worry, and having spoken to, you know, people across the political spectrum in schools, I have to say, um, and they're all really, really worried about this because it is very soon to do this. And I think unlike Germany, we haven't got in this country a good sort of test and trace regime going. You know, it all seems really quite chaotic and shambolic. And I would really feel, I think a lot of teachers would feel a lot more comfortable to go back in September when all of that has been oh, properly I'm sure, put in I'm place. sure, but I'm sure they would, being paid full pay and, uh, and not having to do any work. I think a lot of people would feel that way. Unfortunately, Unfortunately, it's not quite working out that well for the kids, is it? 700,000 children right now, according to a new survey, are getting no lessons at all at their state schools. Um, That's 10% of secondary and primary schools not giving any work at all, no online lessons, and 8% only one learning activity a day. Um, We know that a child missing a day of school, a week of school, can be detrimental to their education. Um, This is about balancing risk, isn't it? All of the evidence from all of the scientific medical advice and all of the, the country's Sweden kept their schools open. Um, Germany's been back for a couple of weeks. Denmark's been back. Australia's been back. No problems there. The World Health Organization chief scientist saying the risk to children and teachers is extremely low. Um, I mean, who are your advisors telling you that something completely different? It's because of the shambolic sort of system of uh, testing and tracing. It's got nothing to do with it. It's got nothing to do with it. Because in countries like Germany, if there is uh, someone who's got C19, say, in a school, they can very quickly test and trace and uh, sort the problem out. Uh, in England, particularly, there is a very kind of severe sort of problem with this, as we've known um, you know, it's been in the news and it's uh, people across the political spectrum are saying this. And I have to say, you know, we can't put people's lives at stake, which is basically what we're doing, aren't we? We're, teachers will die if they'll go back. Well, well you say that. You say that, but actually, 
But you and actually, there's to... no, no, Francis. Francis, you're making a lot of very firm statements for someone who, like me, is not an expert in this field. The experts in this field, you and I are not those. We're not medical scientists. Um, say actually, there's virtually no risk to the children from each other, and and virtually no risk to the teachers uh, from the children because that is the experience of the countries that have kept their schools open. You do know that creches in hospitals have been open. Many schools have still been open for key workers. There is no example of a teacher catching it from their pupils. Well, that isn't my, um, actually, even experience. Uh, you know, we I'm not asking about your experience. Well, that's the uh, whole we, point. We serve, that's the whole point. We, we serve, look at the medical serve, and the scientific advice. We serve, uh, we serve, and the scientific advice would say that it's too soon. The British Medical Association have said that it, have agreed with the unions that we shouldn't be sending um, uh, teachers you, back in. And do you think the, the World Health Organization's chief scientists might know more than the rest of us? Is there a possibility they might I be more of an expert? I think the British doctors are in the best place to sort of give best advice best scientific British advice doctors British doctors who aren't experts yeah. in virology or epidemiology or in statistics on this you think the average junior doctor member of the BMA or whatever you think that they are more of an expert than the World Health Organization chief scientist well, the World Health Organization are just speaking more generally, aren't they? Whereas we know about the local conditions. I mean, the problem in this country is that we haven't got a proper sort of local response to this, have we? And that's, you know, quite well known. So, you know, we really need to have a system where there's proper testing and tracing um, like there's been in South Korea, like there's been in um, Germany. And it is very well known that that just is not okay. in place so, at all. So if that was up in place in the middle of June, let's just say it was running a bit late, you were telling me all the teaching unions and all the hard left, let's face it, hard left teaching union uh, staff and general secretaries and the like, are you telling me that they would suddenly lose all of their objections to this and be happy to send the children back to school? Really? Well, I can't. I can't speak for them, can I? Obviously, I mean, they've got to right, make you, their you, own you, judgments, you, haven't they? But I, uh, I would say that you know the the paramount issue here is this is far too soon to send children and teachers back into school. Most well, teachers I've spoken to are very, very reluctant to go. Um, we are putting lives at risk by doing this. Okay, and you've got, yeah, we need you've got to no basis for saying that because well, last time you're, you're an English bases, teacher. You're in, I studied philosophy and politics at university and that means that I have no qualifications in medicine or science. You're an English teacher. You have no qualifications in medicine This is the British you're Medical not... Association that's saying it's not me. You know, this is the doctors. This is the people that serve. The World Health Organization chief scientist says differently. That, Francis, that's a more general thing, isn't it? Yeah. Well, but an the expert in the actual field. The an expert in really the actual know, field. Who are treating these uh, people really mm. know are saying that we shouldn't be going back at this point. It's too okay. soon. The, the, the people who've carried out all of the studies showing that actually children aren't at any risk uh, and uh, teachers at minimal risk. Okay, I, bet, I bet all those teachers are quite happy to get a delivery from Amazon and go to the supermarket. Though. They're quite happy for other people to be at risk as long as they can get the stuff they want to buy and want to, want to eat. But yeah, forget the children. Across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. Talk Radio. 
And of course, we hear so much from what the government is doing. We get these uh, big press conferences, don't we? Every single day, I have to say, they're getting interminable now. I think they could get shorter. I feel like I feel like sometimes all the questions have already been asked. I don't know about anyone else. Uh, they sort of hang over me all day, especially at the weekends. Uh, that I know they're going to be coming, um, but we don't seem to hear very much from how local councils are handling things. And we know, of course, that when it comes to certainly with care homes, it's local councils that are dealing with things. Now we know they've been given uh, huge sums of extra money uh, from central government to handle this pandemic. Big question marks about whether that money is being handled on to care homes. But councils, we are now told, are facing an existential crisis as many local authorities are considering declaring themselves bankrupt because the cost of coronavirus is taking a huge toll on their balance sheets and they've got a total black hole around the country. An estimated, wait for it, £10 billion. Pounds. Let's talk about this with Councillor Marianne Overton, MBE. She's Vice Chair of the Local Government Association for England and Wales. Good morning to you. Good morning, Julia. Um, first of all, could you just explain to us just why you know why the pandemic is hitting local councils in terms of huge extra costs for you? Local councils are very much in the front line. So as you rightly pointed out, making sure that social care has got all the extra PPE, extra staffing, and making sure that all of that is running well in the circumstances. Um, then again, also, we've got extra costs in terms of make, uh, our staff have largely not been furloughed, so they are continuing their work. But And the extra costs that they've got to do, we've had to phone, for example, we've got 30 staff in my district council phoning 10,000 vulnerable people to make sure that they're actually OK and that they are getting the food delivered, which we have been doing. And then working with the voluntary groups to make sure that all of the other things that the local, those local people need it, it, are, that they are getting it. So local government is very much at the front line and making sure that things really happen on the ground so you, you've kind of got, you've got the opposite from many sort of private businesses that you're quite from uh, the opposite of being forced to close down uh, uh, your, your businesses mm. effectively yourselves. You're actually doing far more. You're saying those extra cost off, and yet a lot of people will be noticing, for instance, their rubbish collections have gone down to sort of a bare minimum. Other services aren't available. You're not running the the, the rubbish dumps and the like. Um, in, in which case, surely you're just you know you've got the same number of staff all being paid the same, working the same hours. They're just doing different things. Why? Is that an extra cost? Um, there is an element of, of uh, shifting work, but there's certainly an extra cost in terms of acquiring PPE and making sure that the staff absences are covered because yeah. we have had, to, we have had a, um, some staff have been off sick, obviously, and all at home looking after children. So we have had to continue funding those staff, but also they haven't actually been able to do quite as much as they would normally. And yet the workload is substantial. So and in terms of the PPE, though, can I ask, I'm sorry, can I ask about the PPE? Which is, so obviously one of the concerns about care homes not getting PPE, uh, hmm. protective equipment, just the gloves and the masks and the aprons and the like, was because they, they, you just simply couldn't buy it. It was just not possible to buy it. And the government took over procurement. The government has said repeatedly that they have given big sums of money to local councils for you to spend on helping care homes in that way. So is, is, is the money you're getting from government, is that enough to cover that extra cost? The calculations were asked for, they asked, the government asked all the councils for how much they had spent for the first two months. And those, those, they, the money that has already gone out the door in the initial stage, the government worked hard to cover those costs and we appreciate that. But what we've got is it, it hasn't stopped when we thought the COVID virus might stop. It has continued. And on top of the extra costs, what I should also mention is a loss of income, of course. 
because yeah. councils would have been getting an income from car parks, from leisure centres, from a whole um, business centres, a whole host of different sources, because we have, over a long period of time, been running down our reserves, making sure that we're gaining other sources of income to make sure that we make ends meet for our councils so we can provide services for local people in the best way possible for the minimum costs on central government. And that's been a long-term approach. And now we're in this situation where those other sources of funding have fallen away. Yeah, I was was thinking, actually, yes, the the parking charges is a crucial part. And again, people just simply aren't going out and about shopping in the high street Mm. and you're not getting that money. How can this be resolved? A number of councils are saying that they're just going to sue for bankruptcy, effectively. Is that what's going to happen? Well, councils are required by law to state, well, actually, the finance officer in particular is required by law to declare when when he can't see how ends are going to make, how ends are going to be met. So if he can't see how the how money in and money out is going to match by the end of the year, he is required by law to declare that. So it's not somebody trying to do anything unkind. It's actually a, a requirement. And that means that there are some councils who are now getting to the point where they are looking and they're thinking that they might actually be at that point. And that's why they've been forced to declare that they are in this situation and they've got to make some big changes. So we've got to have that essential funding. If councils are to continue doing the essential job they're doing to make life for people manageable in this situation and beyond in the recovery, of course, that's the essential. Online, on DAB and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. Thanks for listening to today's Julia Hartley Brewer coronavirus update. Please don't forget to like, comment and most importantly, subscribe. And you can catch me live on the Talk Radio Breakfast Show every weekday from 6.30 till 10. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.